In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. C.S. Lewis, he's the author of Narnia, which is probably the most popular thing that he wrote, um, but also the author of Scrooge Letters and many other great books. He was a great Christian um, kind of philosopher, author, so on and so forth. He had a really nice saying once when he said, I'm not a Christian to be comfortable. If I wanted to be comfortable, I would have some whiskey, which is a great line, because he understands very well that Christianity is not at all a comfortable religion. It's not made to be a comfortable religion. It is not meant to serve us. It is not meant to kind of please us in the way the entertainment world would please us, or social media would please us, or sports would please us, or drink or food would please us. Christianity is not, <clears throat> does not serve that purpose in our lives. And yet so often we think that it does. A lot of people often tell me, and I'm glad that they tell me this, but a lot of people will tell me, I love when I come to church because it makes me feel so good. I'm glad that it makes people feel good. But I would hope that the first feeling that they would have leaving church would be a challenge more than uh, this feeling of pleasantry. It's good that people feel good at church. I'm glad for that. Please, I would never discourage somebody from feeling good at church. But I would hope that they would also come out feeling challenged. Because that's really what Christianity is about. Jesus stares us in the face and he doesn't say, it's okay, no problem, you're great the way you are, you don't have to do anything, don't worry, I got you. He says, you can be better and I want you to be better. In the gospel reading today, you can just imagine uh, the context. I mean, kind of put yourself in that position. You know, there's the 12 disciples, they're, they're walking with Jesus with this great crowd. Jesus grabs the 12 aside and he says, we're going to go up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be delivered to the chief priests, scourged, mocked, crucified, and on the third day will rise. So that's shocking. I mean, that is a prophecy that is Jesus... Jesus is telling his disciples what is going to happen to him. They're going to be there to witness it. At least they're supposed to be there to witness it. Then the mother of two of the disciples, James and John, she goes up to Jesus and she says, I want my sons to sit at your right and your left hand in your kingdom. And obviously this is coming from the sons themselves. They've... It's, What's presupposed here is that they've expressed their desire to their mother, and their mother went as Jesus' aunt, they were his cousins, as Jesus' aunt went to him and asked his favor as his aunt. And Jesus looks at them, and he says, you have no idea what you're asking. You don't even know what you're talking about. You want to sit in my right hand and in my left in my kingdom? What do you think the kingdom of God is? Do you think the kingdom of God is like the Roman Empire? Do you think the kingdom of God is like the Greek palace or something like that? Where you're going to sit on my right and my left hand in glory and exercise all kinds of authority and be in charge of people? Do you think that's what the kingdom of God is like? No way. Do you think the kingdom of God is supposed to be comfortable the way many of us think that the kingdom of God is supposed to be? No, it's not. In fact, the response of Jesus is basically... If you knew what the kingdom of God was, you might not want it at all. 
You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? He goes straight to the point. What is the kingdom of God about? It's about drinking the cup of suffering. The cup that Jesus is referring to is what we'll see later on in the gospel reading when the things that he prophesied about his going up to Jerusalem and being scourged and crucified, the cup of suffering appears again right before all that. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he's betrayed, right before he's arrested, and Jesus says to the Father in prayer, Father, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The cup that Jesus is referring to here is the cup of the passion, the cup of the crucifixion. And then he asks his disciples, are you able to drink this cup? This is what the kingdom of God is really about. Are you sure you want this even at all? And that's a question for every one of us. Ask yourself, are you sure you want to belong to Christ? It probably shouldn't be that easy of an answer. If it's a very, very easy answer, maybe you're not thinking about it very correctly. Because to belong to Christ means to share in his to participate in the cup that he drinks, the cup of bitterness. How often do you think you want that? Because I guarantee you that day in and day out, Jesus is presenting that cup to you and me, and he's saying, will you drink my cup? And that cup comes in the form of a spouse being really annoying or bothersome or angry or upset or whatever it is. It comes in the form of really bothersome kids. It comes in the form of a difficult job. It comes in the form of rejection. It comes in the form of the feeling of abandonment. It comes in the form of trauma. It comes in the form of difficulty. And yet, how often do we tell Jesus, no, I don't want this cup at all. I would rather go drink myself away. I would rather go distract myself with something or another. I would rather just fight back against having to drink this cup by getting angry myself, and by, by overreacting myself. I would rather just not talk to this person than having to drink the cup. So think about this for a second. Will you drink the cup that Jesus says is a condition for entering the kingdom of God? Because he goes on to say, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and, the great, and their great men exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave, as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That contextualizes everything. What does it mean to drink the cup of Jesus? To give one's life as a ransom for many, to go up to Jerusalem to be mocked and scourged and crucified. That's exactly what that means. And yet, when James and John go up to Jesus and they ask to sit at his right and his left hand, what are they asking for? Authority. That's why Jesus addresses them afterwards the way he does. The Gentiles exercise authority over other people. You're not going to be like that. That's not what the kingdom is. You want, to, you want to sit at my right and my left so you can exercise authority. That's not what the kingdom of God is at all. If you will enter the kingdom at all, you will first be a servant. You will bow down 
and you will be a slave. You have to be a slave. And the one whom you're going to be a servant to is whoever I give to you, not of your own picking. It's the one that I'm going to give to you. If you're a priest, you're going to serve your parish. You have no idea who's going to enter. If you're a husband, you're going to serve your wife. If you're a wife, you're going to serve your husband. If you're parents, you're going to serve your children. If you're an employer, you're going to serve your employees. That's what Christian leadership means. You're going to be the first servant. The Pope signs his name, Francis, Bishop of Rome, servant of the servants of God. He's the first among God's servants. Not the not the, the authority figure over all of them. Brothers and sisters, in ancient times, idolatry was prevalent in the form of paganism. They, people used to worship many gods. And the reason, not to get into too much detail with this, but the reason why people used to worship many gods is because they would say, oh, you have the god of, just say, you have the god of rain. And when it's particularly dry, if you feed this god this kind of thing, if you perform this kind of ritual, then the god of rain is going to respond by making it rain, and therefore the harvest is going to come up. So it's a cause and effect relationship, meaning I do this thing for you, you do this thing back for me. If I do this thing for you, the god of rain, then you owe me something. Now I own you. Now I can control rain by performing this ritual or doing this thing for this god, whatever it is. People used to practice idolatry so that they can control stuff around them, nature around them, and whatever people around them oftentimes. They did it for the sake of control. But all that says is that idolatry at the end of the day is self-worship. I want things to go my way, so I'm going to worship these gods that are going to do the things that I want them to do. But at the end of the day, we're just worshiping ourselves. The cup that Jesus refers to here is the one that God wants to give us. It's not a cup of our own choosing. It's the cup that God wants us to drink. And it is in receiving the cup from the hand of God that we are saved, not choosing which one we would prefer to drink ourselves. It is in receiving from God what he wants to give us and accepting it from him, not choosing what we're most comfortable with, with what's most convenient for us. At the end of the day, salvation means I get out I have exited my self-centered worldview and mentality, and now I've entered into the worldview of God where God is God and I am not, and I actually don't have any control. I'm not an authority figure. I don't get to choose the way my life is gonna go all the time. God is going to do that, and whatever it is, I'm going to accept it. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, when Jesus presents us with the cup, we have to respond with, even if we say, let this cup pass from me, we have to end up saying, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Amen.